0: You're listening to Teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Well, good morning, church. And for those of you watching online for the first time or joining us, uh, welcome to Black Forest Chapel. We're glad you're um, able to worship with us, even if we're apart. And um, unfortunately, uh, we continue to have our state at home order, and we're not able to gather together. But just to assure you that the elders and the leadership of the church, we're, we're keeping track of, of what's happening um, in the country, as well as obviously in our state. And um, we will, as soon as we're able to reopen, even if there's mitigation involved and we have to do it differently for a while, um, we will do that as soon as we possibly can. But until then, uh, we're thankful to have the opportunity to speak to you in your homes this morning. And so um, as, as we open God's word, let's pray together and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you your very presence and our entire life, every area of our life is um, truly in your hands, Father. Whether it's a physical, whether it's emotional, vocationally, Lord, economically, even our life here at the church as your people, everything is in your hand and we, we trust you. Uh, we don't want to live in fear or anxiousness. And although this is a difficult time for, for many, Lord, we trust that you're in this, that you have a purpose, that you're teaching us something. And I pray as your people, Lord, we would, we would be um, students that are eager to learn from you, that we would not sit by idly, that we would not try to escape this, Lord, but instead to, to determine, to discern, to prayerfully ask of you, Lord, what do you want us to do in the midst of this? And so for now, we know that at least we are to be worshipful, we start to be um, seeking you in your word, seeking you in prayer. We are not able to seek um, encouragement through the fellowship of believers at the moment, Lord, Uh, but even as we are apart, we know we're praying for one another, and Lord, we lift those things up to you because we are dependent on you. You're the only one that can do anything about everything, Lord. and We give our church to you, we give our lives to you, all the struggles that we're having, all the isolation that we're experiencing, Lord. We truly lay them before you, ask that you would help us in our great need. And right now, Lord, we pray that you would help me uh, to speak your word, to speak truth to your people, that you, Holy Spirit, would illuminate the scriptures so that we can understand. Um, Help me to be clear, Father. And may you bless your people by the ministry of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we're, we're going to veer out of our series in Genesis. Um, we only have one chapter to go. Um, and I'm gonna make sure we extend that as long as possible. So, no, wait, there, there was a time this week where it just felt like we needed a different message than the one I was working on. And so we will jump back into the life of Joseph soon. Um, but for today, um, we're gonna be stepping out of that and we're gonna be in Philippians chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Philippians four. Before we jump into the text, just a question for you, something to kind of prime our thinking this morning. Um, I'd like you to think back or remember a time when you learned something new, when you were learning something new, and how maybe difficult that was for you. How oh, maybe there was pain involved, uh, I look out the study in my home um, as i 'm working, and across the street there 's still an undeveloped field and some some dirt and i 've been seeing a father trying to help his daughter learn to ride a bike and so they started on the sidewalk and you know getting her going and getting some pedaling going, but then the sidewalk can be a harsh uh, landing zone for for A young lady, so he has moved over to the dirt area across the street. And, and we're watching this. She's learning how to ride a bike. And if any of you remember what it was like to learn to ride a bike, it was, it could be scary. It could be, it felt very dangerous, out of control. And you didn't want your parent to let go of the back, right? You took the training wheels off and you're holding on. And then eventually, though, they have to let go. And and the bike needs to go. You have to learn to pedal and balance yourself. And it takes it, it takes time. It takes pain, unfortunately, as well. And they were across the street and, and he was running with her and then finally it got a little too fast and he kind of let her go and, and she was going and started wobbling and then she tried to look back and, and then the, the bike started to go and, and she, she, she planted herself, right? She, she took a, took a spill and she got up and she was dirty and stomping her feet and angry and the dad came running up and, and dusted her off and reassured her and put her back on the bike and like a loving father just pushed her back down the hill, right? As we all would she needs to learn. And she started to get better and better. And it was, just, it was just fun to watch. I remember doing that with my sons. And What are some things that maybe you haven't learned in something new in a while? What are some things that, that you remember having to learn that, that was painful, that was not an easy thing? Maybe it's a new recipe you were learning and you decided to, to make this new meal or new recipe when you were having guests over. Maybe not the wisest decision. Right? It's a, It's a risk. Unless you didn't want the, de- the guests to return, then that was a wise strategy. I remember shooting my, my grandfather. I got a hunting rifle and a hunting shotgun from my grandfather, and it was a 30-30 lever action and had a, had a scope mounted and really excited to use it and, and put it up for the first time at the shooting range and not realizing what I was doing. The, the scope was just mounted back a little too far, and I, I, I got a nice little bruise to the eye socket after my first shot. I've never done that again, right? I've learned uh, how to hold the rifle properly, how to, how to adjust the scope as needed. The big one, I was talking to my wife about this, was learning to drive a car. Um, there's lots of, lots of things to learn when you're driving a car. There's all the rules of the road, how to operate the, the vehicle, and then just how to interact with, with both legs and both arms and both eyes, and you have to make everything work well because it's, it's a dangerous endeavor without that. And Sheila was telling me how when she was learning, she had her hand on the steering wheel and was reaching over to turn the radio on or something. And as she reached, the steering wheel went with her, right? That's that's a classic rookie move. You don't want to do that because now you're veering into traffic or or off of the road. And I think many of us have experienced those things before. Driving a car can be difficult. You need to you need to learn all these different facets. But once you get it, once you go through the pains, once you go through the struggles and the parents yelling at you and all the other stuff that goes on because they're fearing for their life, as they rightfully should, as uh, once you get through all of that and you start doing it more often, it becomes natural, right? It's unnatural to begin with, but then it becomes natural. Your you're, you're foot's on the gas. You, you know the right pressure to put. You know how to get to the brake quickly. You know how to... Holding the steering wheel, you, you know how to check your blind spots. After that semi trailer honks at you one too many times, you know how to check where you're going. Make sure before you you change lanes. You know how to check your mirrors, right? And soon you you really know how to drive. It's not just that you've driven before, but you really know how to drive to the point where people are ridiculous and they're driving with their knee, putting makeup on, shaving, having breakfast, and all the other things we do, right? But it takes time, and it takes kind of a learning curve, trial and error. Well, there's one Christian virtue I want to talk about this morning that we have the ability to learn. I think sometimes we give up on it. We don't even think about it. Uh, we assume it's for someone else with a different personality, that maybe it's something that we just can't attain in this Christian life because we are so up and down in our emotions. And But as, as we see the Apostle Paul talk about in Philippians 4... We can learn this. He learned it. And that is the Christian virtue of contentment. To be content in all things. How do we do that? We've been looking at the life of Joseph, and this man exudes contentment. No matter what he has gone through, no matter what trial he has been through, whether he's in the depths of a prison, chained to a wall, whether he's in the palace with the finest robes on his back, he has learned to be content. He has learned to trust God. And so the apostle Paul, in a similar fashion, has learned how to be content. And so can we, as his people. And so that's what we're going to take a look at in Philippians chapter 4. Now, before we get to our, our text in Philippians 4, just a, a quick overview or some background. Paul, is in, as many of you know, is he's in prison in Rome and he's awaiting his trial. So he's, he's, he's a prisoner as he's writing this this epistle about joy and this triumphant life in Christ, right? How to live a joy-filled life. And, and one of the purposes, he's, he's giving thanks to his friends who have supported him financially in his ministry. He's asking some of them to put aside their quarrels and just some general theological teachings for how to live a godly life, but specifically to, to live a joy-filled life, a triumphant life. And it seems counterculture, seems counterproductive, or, or it seems like it wouldn't fit his situation, right? It wouldn't fit being chained to a guard and being in house arrest, but but this is a man who's learned to be content in any circumstance. He's learned to find what is his duty in any circumstance. Lord, what do you want me to do? And so I just want to read the first, um, in Philippians 1, we'll just read the first section. This is the Thanksgiving and prayer. You kind of get a, 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 kind of a picture of his heart um, as he writes this letter. Anytime you read a section of scripture, especially the epistles, you want to look at the whole Context. You want to look at the entire letter, if possible, because the letter builds off of itself. As we know in, in hermeneutics and in biblical interpretation, you would never open a letter from someone who's written you, um, uh, whether a friend, family member, You would you wouldn't go to page 3, paragraph 2, and start there. You would read the whole letter. It provides context. But we're just going to read a few sections just to give you an idea of kind of Paul's heart here. So Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Paul and Timothy So Paul's heart here, he yearns for his people. He wants, he has the affection of Christ. He's planted this church. He loves these people. He wants that their love, that their love would abound more and more, that they would grow in knowledge of of their Savior and their Lord Jesus Christ and all discernment, approve what is excellent. He wants them to live a godly life. And then he moves on if you look at at chapter 3, as he's dealing with As, as usual, those who are trying to, to come into the church and, and teach a different gospel. And as he's just talking about, um, the true gospel and what he used to do in his previous life as a zealot, really as a, as a Pharisee, as a, as, you know, he's talking to, about these Judaizers, the Pharisees trying to come in and, and really do a lot of the work that he used to do. He says in verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So all the things he had before, all the, all the benefits, all the status, all the possession, right? whatever knowledge maybe he thought he had before that was, that was beneficial to him, he, he counts all of it as lost now for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss, he said, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's not about the law. It's not about what he can do. It's not about all the gain that he had. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone. That is the foundation of his faith. He wants to be filled up with more of Christ. He is satisfied in Jesus. And he says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Righteousness comes through faith in Christ alone. And this all builds on itself. So now we're we're in chapter four. And this is part of his exhortation, encouragement, his prayer section as he closes out his letter. But it's funny how he's talking about one thing and then he he just kind of sneaks in something really important, something that we kind of gloss over or we use in in ways that it wasn't intended. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 4, and we'll read down through 13. This is our primary text. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You may recall we, we, we were in this text a few weeks ago as the beginning of this pandec- pandemic started, and we weren't sure what was going to happen. There was anxiety. There was fear. We were all kind of just looking for some semblance of normalcy, and it wasn't there. And we begin to wonder, what does this mean for us? And so we we talked about the importance of taking all of these anxious thoughts, all of our fears, to prayer, giving those to the Lord. And this ties in with contentment here in a moment. But Paul says, "Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, we're giving these things to the Lord with thanksgiving." That's key—to be thankful for what we have, to be thankful for what we know to be true, to be thankful for God's promises. He is still on the throne. He is still God. None of that has faded away. Jesus still died on the cross for us. Right? We are still saved by grace through faith. Our sins have been forgiven. We are sons and daughters of the living God. Those things don't go away. and So we should be thankful for all of that. He says, let your requests be made known to God. Tell him what's on your heart. Be honest about it. And this is the the outcome. This is the goal. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. it's It's not something that you can create. You can't give yourself peace. Only God can give that to you. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's such an important piece for us. To have our hearts and our minds guarded in Christ." Paul lives out this ethic of having his life hidden with Christ in God, right? From from Colossians. His life is hidden with Christ in God. And by by this this supernatural peace that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, there is a unity here that he's speaking of that sometimes we miss. Finally, brothers, in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There's that word again, peace. Now Paul moves on and just wants to thank them again. He's rejoicing because of the provision that they provided for his ministry, the physical provisions. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So obviously they, they wanted to give to him. They didn't have an opportunity. They were, they were faithful partners in his ministry, even when other churches and other, other, other places were not. The Philippians were faithful to give to the ministry. And Paul's really rejoicing here, as you read later. He was rejoicing in the fact that there was fruit from the ministry. And so there's a benefit to the people that are giving because their reward is the gospel being spread. It's not that Paul needed anything, he says, but that those those physical, tangible gifts were necessary for the gospel to go out. And so he, he qualifies all of this, his thankfulness, his rejoicing of their giving. He qualifies it here in verses 11. This is important. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the secret. And you can just can you imagine reading this letter for the first time, or or someone reading it to to the church, right? As it was circulated around the different churches in Philip, you imagine someone reading it, and and they're all they're they're used to these. Foreign gods and these foreign religions, these Gentile, these pagan religions that talk about secret knowledge and only only the, the the select, the elite can learn about these secret things, and the masses have have really no no ability to reach this this hidden knowledge. And so he uses the word "secret," I think, for for a very specific reason to get their attention here. And we live in a world like that too. What's the the secret to to losing weight, right? Or the secret to better sleep, or 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 more productivity. There's always secrets and there's always 12 steps and there's always these things you got to do and you got if you don't do it the right way and with the right steps and buying all the supplements or buying all their stuff then it's not going to work out, right? Or it doesn't really last very long. And so he's he's telling them these things. I know how to do this. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in every circumstance and I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the secret. Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. That's the secret. It's Jesus Christ. He strengthens us. Paul can do all things through him. Now this verse... Is used widely in the world of sports, athletics, physical challenge. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So they take the word strengthen and they equate it to just a physical obstacle, a physical challenge that needs to be overcome. And so there's a sense of um, motivation here. It's a motivational poster, if you will, or people will... Um, They'll have, uh, you know, Philippians 4.13 written on part of their athletic, in one of their shoes or something. Or they'll have a way to express it or display it as a means of motivation. And even if they're a believer, um, they might have good intentions. But this this verse, contextually, is not about physical strength. It's not about overcoming some physical obstacle. It's not about winning a sporting event. It's about learning to be content in every situation. How amazing would that be? So realistically, contextually, this verse would better be applied to someone who has just lost a sporting event. They've lost, they're at the lowest point. They have not succeeded in their physical endeavor, and yet they find contentment in Christ alone. That's where this verse would be best used. It can still be used at the pinnacle of achievement, but to be content there is to not be prideful to not take it as something that you have done, to be fulfilled in self. It's to be content in Christ alone. And so Paul says, this is the secret to my contentment. I've learned this, right? That's what's key here. I've learned whatever situation I am to be content. I've learned how to be brought low. So this word Abased or brought low, the, the, the visual that Paul is giving in the original language is, is a river, riverbed that's, that's running really low. Very little water running through it. Versus learning to abound, which is a river that's overflowing, that the, that's, the waters are rushing. Paul has learned to live in both situations. And here, you've you got to slow down as you read this. He says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. He knows how to go through it. He knows how to enter into it and how to live in it until God would bring him out. And if God would take him to a place of abundance, he knows how to enter into that. It's not that he knows what it is to be brought low. Of course he does. That he's experienced lowness. He's experienced want and need. But he knows how to do it. It's a very different, going back to the car illustration, learning to drive a car, it's very different for someone to say, well, I know what it means to drive a car. I, I, I've experienced driving a car. Maybe they've only driven twice. Do you really want to be a passenger in their car? right? And you can see some of those folks because they don't quite know what they're doing on the road. And then you look at the back of their car and it says student driver. You're, well, now it makes sense. Right? They're learning. They're not. They know what it is to drive, but they don't really know how to drive yet. Versus someone who has been driving for many, many years. They've experienced, they've gone through all the trial and error. They've experienced the, the accidents and the, the, the mechanical issues and driver error and all the, all the stuff that goes with it. They, they've had all those experiences. They really know how to drive. They're very mindful of their surroundings. They can do it without much effort. That's a person you probably would be more comfortable driving with. And so Paul says, I know how to do this. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. How did he learn this? What was his classroom of contentment, if you will? Let's turn over a few uh, books to the left and look at Paul's letter to to the Corinthians, his second letter. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this just gives us a little sketch. Most of us know about the Apostle Paul and his... different ministry endeavors. But how did he learn this? So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church for a second time. They've had a lot of uh, problems, to say the least. Um, he's, He's dealt with those in his first letter. As he writes the second letter, there's, there's definitely a impassioned plea here paul is is rightfully upset to some degree and he he doesn't want to have to share his resume again he doesn't want to have to share all the things that he's gone through he's not he's not looking to boast about his life he's not looking to boast about all the things that are going on even about what Christ has done in his life but he feels compelled to boast about these things why because there are false apostles innervating the church they they are they are discrediting his apostleship. They are boasting themselves about all the greater things that they're doing and trying to push him to the side. And by doing so, they're bringing in a different gospel. And Paul hates that. And he loves his people too much to let that take place. And so you'll see at the beginning of chapter 11, as he writes to his his people, his church, he says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. So what he's talking about, the foolishness of boasting, and the, these false apostles, these false teachers coming in, and they're boasting about all this stuff they're doing. And it's foolishness. They're pointing to themselves. They're not pointing to Jesus. And he says, if you would just bear with me, he says, do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Just beautiful imagery of how he sees the church. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Remember, remember Paul's his his life's desire, his life's pursuit is to know Jesus more. To know Jesus and to know the resurrection. So he says, I might not be that skilled in speaking, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. I know who I believe. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. And if you skip down to verse 12, and what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. So here's that that context here. They're, they're boasting about their mission. They're, they're claiming to be apostles. He says in verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. But no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So this is just uh, a context for, for why Paul feels compelled to then share his resume. All the things that he has gone through. The ways, if you will, that he has learned contentment. So if we drop down um, verse 21 halfway through there, he says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, and then he pauses, I'm speaking as a fool, because he doesn't want to do this, he says, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews, these false apostles? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And he says, I am a better one. And then he says, I am talking like a madman. He, he doesn't want to express this, but this is what is true. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. Do Do you just read over that, or could you pause and think about that? A night and a day, he was adrift at sea. Just Was he just holding on to some, some planks from the boat? That, how was he, can you imagine that, that, that time? What was he doing? What would you be doing in the midst of that? You think of the current disturbance in your life and the struggle that you're going through now. What was Paul doing as he's drifting in the sea for a day and a night? after being stoned and beaten with rods and other such things. Perhaps he was in prayer. Perhaps he was seeking the Lord. Verse 26, On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Can you just... Can you? you see the the pressures that were on this man. Not just the the, the pressures of of general persecution that came from the outside, but but from inside, people that claimed to be brothers, claimed to be part of the church. He He was in danger from those people as well. In toil, verse 27, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He wasn't thinking of himself in the midst of all that he was going through. All the things that God has allowed in his life, his heart was still for the, the, the safety, the security, the growth, the productivity, the maturity of of the church he loved the church deeply and so this man had so many things on his mind and so many pains in his body and so he confesses he says who who is weak and i am not weak meaning these guys claim to be going through all these things who is made to fall and i am not indignant he says, "If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying." And so, if we if we go down, he in in chapter twelve, he begins to talk about uh, boasting through um, visions and revelations of the Lord. So, more things that have taken place. So he goes, "I must go on boasting, though there is no nothing to be gained by it." I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. He talks about himself being carried up, right to the third heaven. He didn't know. He doesn't really understand the the type of experience that it was, but it was it was a it was an amazing experience. It was something that it was very unique, and he and he and he gave enough explanation that he could to convey the the beauty of it, the importance of it. And then verse 7, chapter twelve, verse 7, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. So he saw all these great things. He was, he was brought up to a high place to see things that other people didn't get a chance to see. And as a result of that, to keep him from becoming conceited, to teach him to be content even in, in abundance, even when he abounded, even when things were really, really good and the mountaintop was securely in front of him, to keep him from becoming conceited, to be content, a thorn was given to him in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass him, to keep him from becoming conceited. What did Paul do? Verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, so that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of, of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And, and here's the, the last key verse here. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul has learned that in his weakness, Christ comes through. In his uncertainty, in his anxiety, in his, in whatever fears and temptations of fears that may arise, in, in his complete and utter inability to control anything, in his complete weakness, that's where the strength of Christ is made evident. And so his strength is coming from Jesus Christ alone, from being satisfied in Christ alone, not in the consolations and the comforts and all the things that he used to have and, and hoping and wishing that things were different. That doesn't bring him any comfort. There's no contentment in that. But instead, when he is weak, that's when he is strong. Because Christ, what, has manifested more in his life, there's a greater witness and a presence of the Lord Jesus, and there's greater fellowship. And, and I, can, I, can, I can agree with Paul on that, even to a limited degree, going through a health issue for, for, for two decades. Constant physical pain. Uncertainty, lacking in many areas, regretting the loss of life and the loss of things that I could have had, things that other people have. I, you, you can you can easily sit in that, but in those in those moments and in those those dark hours of uncertainty, that's when those conversations with Christ start to come alive. Right? I, I have nowhere else to go. I can find nothing else to satisfy me, and so I spend time with Him and I'm in His Word, and, and suddenly there's there's peace that surpasses all understanding. And my, my, my heart, my mind, they're, they're being guarded in Christ Jesus. I'm becoming more like him. I'm becoming more like my Savior. And so Paul says, I am content with weakness. I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. It seems supernatural. It seems like, how is that possible? It's through the strength of Jesus Christ. And although Joseph did not know Jesus, he did not yet know about the Messiah in his life. And Joseph, back in Genesis, the, the story we've been going through, he didn't, but he knew his God. He knew the God of Israel, the God of his fathers knew the God that sustained him, that loved him, that placed his everlasting steadfast love upon him, even in the midst of a prison, even in the midst of slavery, and even in the midst of a palace, God was with him. And Joseph learned to be content. It was a classroom that, and a class, it was a degree program that Joseph did not enroll in voluntarily. <laughs> he didn't go to the registrar's office and look for the most painful Process and the most painful class he could find and sign up for it and take the front row seat that wasn't the, the plan. He was thrust into it. God created the circumstances because God wanted to create the man. And that's what he does in our life. And he did the same thing for Paul. Paul, if you want to be my witness, if you want to be a usable instrument for my glory, I've got to break you of this, this sin in your life all the things you used to rely on, all the, th- all the comforts that you used to have, I'm going to take them all away so that you are satisfied in me alone. And so, as believers this morning, can you say that you're content? Can you say that you're learning contentment? Do you even, do you even know that that's something you could learn? <laughs> Has, is it even on your radar screen? Are you satisfied in God? As I was driving in this morning, there was just—and I think we all have these moments, right? And whether they're whether, whether they're fleeting because they were just an emotional response to something, or, or perhaps it was just God's grace in that moment. And for me this morning, it was God's grace. I was I was just leaving my house and drive, and the sun was rising on the, in the east, and the you know Pikes Peak was purple and pink and beautiful, right? There was just a peacefulness. No one's on the road and no one's on the road anyway, I guess. So this can happen any morning at this point, but, but there was peace. And then then the the sun was rising over the east and there was a, there was a little lake um, at the end of our development. And as I was coming through this, the, the, the the sun on the water, there was just this great peace. And I was listening to worship music and, and it was just a worshipful moment. I was just thankful for everything. It was just this culminating, God-filled, grace-filled moment of contentment. Truly, I just had peace. Now, later on tonight, that might not be the case. You know, if I watch a little bit too much news and start to um, worry about the things that you know, the bills start coming in, the emails start coming, this problem's over here. Um, can I remain content and? Is God sufficient in that moment? Am I satisfied in Him? Well, I have to seek it. I have to be willing to be in the classroom and not run away. And I have to seek the Lord and learn how to be content, to be satisfied in God. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Satisfied. We're all hungry. We're all thirsty for something. And Jesus knew this, and that's why in John 6 he talked about, I am the bread of life. Right? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. When we sit at the dinner table, my boys are hungry. And they continue to be hungry even after the first round of food and the second round of food. And eventually, either they get full or they just get bored and they leave the table. Maybe there's no food left. I don't know. But there's, there's an insatiability sometimes to teenage boys and their stomachs. And I know I, I used to be one. When it comes to sin in our life, it's insatiable. Our sin nature is insatiable. We're not satisfied with anything. And so sin needs to be removed. It needs to be pushed down. It needs to be just um, ripped out of our life. And there needs to be room for Christ to fill us, for the Holy Spirit to continually be f- be filling us. That's our only means of satisfaction. It reminds me of the story of Martha and Mary and uh, Jesus entering their home. And Martha was busy about many things, right? She was she was anxious about many things because she had to prepare all the food and she had to get a meal out and serve this food, and and she was worried about all that. And she was mad because her sister Mary is what sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is in Luke ten, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's just enamored with Christ. She's filled up but the presence of Jesus and his teaching. And she doesn't want to leave. And Martha is angry. And she says, Lord, make her help me. And Jesus is like, Martha, you're, you're anxious about many things. But only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the, what, the good portion. To see how, what Jesus is saying here, she's chosen the, the better portion, the best portion. You're laying out all this beautiful food. And it's going to sustain us physically. And, and that's a good thing. But there's a deeper hunger that we all have that's at the soul level. We are spiritually hungry. And Mary has chosen the good portion, and that's not going to be taken away from her. And so it's a loving rebuke to Martha to seek after what is really necessary in this life. To be satisfied, to be content. One commentator puts it this way. It says, to be satisfied means we are not yearning for something else. When our hunger is satisfied, we don't want any more food. When our thirst is satisfied, we don't crave more water. When we are in right relationship with God, our souls are satisfied. And that's our desire, right? even in the midst of chaos, even when the world seems to be falling down around us and all of our circumstances seem to be in despair. We want to cry out with the psalmist in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. So, how do we do this? How do we learn contentment? How do we learn to seek the Lord when things are crumbling down around us? How do we learn to be brought low in a way that's beneficial for our hearts and for the witness of Christ? How do we learn to abound and have abundance in a way that is beneficial for our hearts and for the witness of Christ? How do we do that? Well, there's 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 three areas that we can focus on. Um, there's, there's probably more, just three that I, that I was thinking through as I was working on this message. Number one is the Word of God. Paul talks about this. He does he wasn't lacking in knowledge. He knows who God is. Right? That's, that's his whole life goal. He compares everything else lost to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. He wants to know more about him. He wants to know more of who he is and be intimately involved in his life. And so, he, he, He seeks out greater knowledge. And the word of God is how we know God. God has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. And so we, we seek the Lord in the scriptures. And we need to be in God's word to know more about him, to be able to trust him. If you don't know who he is, why would you trust him? But if you know who God is and what he has done for you, how he has saved you, how he is sanctifying you, The promises of God that we talked about last week on Easter Sunday, whatever God says, God does, we know those things because we read it in the scriptures. They are a source of strength for us and peace. So the word of God is is incredibly important for us. The fellowship of believers is important, to be encouraged, to be lifted up by one another. Right now, that's very clear. It's a lot more clear and practical and tangible that we need that because we, we can't have that right now in the same way we had it before, where we miss one another. We miss seeing one another and being close to one another, right? Everyone's wearing masks and we have to keep our distance. And so that's why I'm growing my own mask right here. It's a multicolored mask. But we miss being with one another. We miss seeing one another. I, I'm, having an empty room here is, is not good for my heart. I, I miss seeing all of you. And hopefully you're understanding and growing in your appreciation and thankfulness for God's people. That the admonition in Hebrews 10 is coming to life. 10.25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I hope you're getting that. I hope you're getting the importance of the word of God. I hope you're getting the importance of the people of God. Some of us, I think, we're living in the the current of the world where I'll, I'll, I'll come to service. I'll show up to, to, to worship whenever it's convenient for me. When I'm, you know, I've, 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 I've been, I'm kind of tired from, from the week, so I'm not going to go today. Or I've got something else. It's really a nice day out. I kind of wanted to go to the mountain, so I'm going to go do that by myself. And, and you're, you're missing out on this growth, on this life, on, on being more satisfied in Christ when you're around His people. We grow when we're together. So be in prayer that that can happen again soon, that God would allow us to come together again soon. The the main thing I want to talk about, though, this, this morning is prayer. I think in the midst of all that we're going through, of all that's been happening, we can get tired. We can get fatigued. Maybe we started out by depending on the Lord more. Maybe we were in in prayer initially just because things were really, the the ground was moving around us and we didn't know where to stand and what to do and what was coming next. And so, and so we prayed, but now a few weeks have passed and we're, we're just fatigued. We're tired of the news cycle. We're tired of the same promises that aren't being fulfilled, right? We don't know what's going to take place. Our life may look totally different in the next month or so. We don't know. And so we have to receive our strength from Christ. We have to be content in this low place that we find ourselves. The only way to do that is through communion with our Savior, conversation with Him, submitting ourselves to Him, talking with Him. Prayer is everything. In humility, we should be confessing our sin. This, this classroom should be exposing our deficiencies, the things that we can't do, the things that we don't know. The sin that's in our life, we should be dealing with that. Our inabilities, casting our anxiety upon Him. Remember that disruption creates dependence. We should be depending more. I look at. I was thinking about prayer and what is what is prayer like. And as I opened my front door a couple of days ago, after the wind was blowing sideways and snow was coming, and it kind of just cakes the whole frame of the door. So I opened the door, and I was just covered with snow, Um, thanks to the the weather outside. I realized that that prayer is kind of like a door. We open it when we want to invite people in to encourage us. We want to invite good things in our life, right? To enliven us, to bless our life. But we also shut the door. We use... Right? to block out the things we don't want, the things that might harm us, the unfavorable conditions. George Herbert says, prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of night. Prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of night. It opens up our day. It allows us to enter into our day well, and it allows us to close down our evening well. It surrounds us. It protects us. In this current crisis... I think we need prayer even more, maybe to a greater degree than we've ever experienced, especially in our fatigue. <clears throat> so I want to just, um, in, in light of what Paul said previously in, um, in Philippians 4 that we already talked about, you know, he's building on this idea of becoming learning to be content, and we saw his resume and the things that, that formed his contentedness. Really the suffering, the classroom of suffering and of affliction, depending on the Lord. But he talks about rejoicing in the Lord and to not be anxious about anything, verse 6. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We should constantly be in prayer. And so maybe prayer is hard for you right now. Maybe it's it's just been more and more difficult but maybe you need it more now than ever. And so I just want to give you, as a way of application this morning, the things I've been doing for prayer, and hopefully that will be helpful for you. And so I've been praying kind of three different areas at the moment. And the idea here is to give all of my concerns, my anxieties over to him, the things I can't control, to ask him for strength. And after kind of working through Philippians, to ask him to be teach me to be content in all things Lord I really truly desire to be content and not to allow all of these things to push me to one extreme or the other because I know it'll be good for my heart and it'll be good for me because I'll be a more useful servant to him in the gospel ministry and so there's an overarching theme to my time in prayer that I was able to kind of express I guess and I, hopefully this is helpful for all of us and my overarching theme of prayer in this time of crisis this pandemic this uncertainty is that god would take care of the world around me and that god would take care of the war within me that god would take care of the world around me and that god would take care of the war within me the war being the Desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to one another, from Galatians 5, that we are to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And so that God would take care of the world around me, and that He would take care of the war war within me. And so there's three areas of prayer, and what I've been doing is actually just writing them out. Instead of just going into the prayer time unprepared, allowing my thoughts and distractions to just... Fly all over the place. I've actually written them down. So that way if I am disturbed for some reason I have to if I have to break away, when I come back I know where I'm at, right? Right now there's too many things on our minds, there's too many things on our heads. We're a little bit busy upstairs, right? We need some some help maybe. So write these things down um, and then just work through them and pray and ask God and have a conversation with him and be honest about it. This isn't a checklist. This isn't a methodology, a 12-step program. Once again, this is a relationship. And God hears you because he loves you. And so the three areas I focus on, and I made them all into H's, so that's easier for you to write down, hopefully. But I'm focusing on my heart. I'm focusing on my home. And I'm focusing on the heavy stuff. So the heart, the home, and the heavy stuff. And so I'm I'm praying for my own heart. I'm asking the Lord to help me to be more like Christ, to live as one who is free from the power and the grip of sin, to keep me from temptation, to enjoy God, to overcome the obstacles of the day and to do it well. I'm confessing my sins to him. And if you need to write those out too, do it. Call them what they are. Be freed from those. I'm repenting of those sins. I'm returning to the Father. I receive Christ's forgiveness. I'm thankful for the forgiveness I have in Jesus. I'm remembering him on the cross. I'm remembering that the grave is empty. I belong to him. I have eternal life with him. Once you start being thankful for those things, for the eternal things, the temporary things become much smaller. I can pray with, for those with much more confidence and trust because of the God who overcame death. And so I pray for myself. I worship him. I'll turn on a worship song, and I'll just sit and I'll just worship. And then I move and I pray for my home, and their home could be a number of different things. Your, obviously, your, your physical home, your, your family, the people you're quarantined with, whether you're roommates, your roommates, roommates, your spouse, your kids. Extended family. Maybe it's, maybe you're an essential worker. Maybe you are able to go to work and you're surrounded by your coworkers all day. Maybe it's your church family that you miss a great deal. Even though we're not around them, they're still, a, they're, a, they're a family. And so we pray for them. And so we pray for the, 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 the home life. And we ask the Lord for strength and to be content with what we have. We look in our closet and we think, well, it'd be nice to buy some new clothes, but I'm going to be content with those. And I wish I had different types of food. And I wish, but we're content with that right now. Maybe you're used to eating out every night and you're used to nice restaurants and you used to being able to travel whenever you want and do all the things that you want to do. Maybe you're not used to being home with your family all the time and you've, maybe you have, you've come to the realization that you escape more than you're at home investing. And you can't go out and you can't just do all your hobbies and you're, you're kind of forced in this relational cage match. And not, not, that, not that isolation is good, but perhaps it's exposing some things in your heart. And so pray for yourself. Before you ask God to change all your family members and to change other people, to change your spouse and your children, your roommates, your coworkers, ask him to change you first. All right. Pray for the salvation of those who are lost around you. Pray for the sanctification for those who are saved around you, that they might become more like Jesus. Pray for wisdom to make good decisions, the strength to endure difficult seasons, and whatever, however this is gonna uh, turn out, whatever way the country's gonna open, if it doesn't look the same anymore, will you be content? Because you are satisfied in Christ. Or is your satisfaction only found in the things that you have? Ask about that. Talk to God about that. Pray for that. And then pray for the heavy things. Pray for the heavy things. Write down the name of your federal, state, local leaders. Pray for them by name. All the decisions that they have to make that are impacting you. Pray for God's intervention, his protection, his provision in all these uncertain times. Pray that God would teach you contentment in all that is happening. Once again, his promises are good. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. When everything else is out of control, pray to the one who has control. Give it to him. that your heart would be steady as you watch the news, that you're not afraid if your retirement has been cut in half. You trust in God. Think about those things. And so the way that I enter into this time is I begin by opening a psalm, by, by praising God. You need to have a primer on your heart to remember who he is. And sometimes we just need a little bit of help and going to the scriptures is a beautiful place to go. We're going to do a little bit of that this morning. Let's just have a time as we close of praising God through a psalm and by praying to God for all these things. And we'll do that together and hopefully that'll be helpful for you as you enter in your time. I would encourage you to do this daily. I would encourage you to be mindful of your heart and where you're at. And if you're watching too much TV, to shut it off. You can only take so many hours of epidemiologists with pie charts and graphs talking about, you know, vaccinations that may come in 18 months. Don't learn the information you need to learn and then shut it off. And I'm speaking to myself here largely because I watch way too much. And I find my heart becoming distracted, unsatisfied, discontented, and not in a good way. And so spend some time with the Lord as an application. Let's read Psalm 145 together as we close. Psalm 145. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King. Meaning I will exalt you. We're going to lift his name high. We're going to make him the highest in our life. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another. And shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty. And on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth expressed to your servant the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for our sake and for our good as your people, even now in the year 2020, that by your grace and through the strength of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we can learn to be content. We would know how to be brought to low places, Lord. So that in that low place, we would no longer be in despair, but we would be satisfied. And Father, we pray that as we abound, we would know how to have abundance, to have all the good things and all the blessings and all the comforts. You would teach us how to do that so that in that high place, Lord, we would not be prideful. We would not be self-sufficient. But we would be satisfied in you. That you alone would be our portion. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the bread of life. Thank you for the truth that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord, we will be satisfied. And so, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness as your people for our sin that we, at times, Lord, have turned away, we have veered off to the right or to the left instead of walking the path you've laid out before us. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Please forgive us. And thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the work you did on the cross. Thank you that we have life in you. Thank you that we can have joy in you, even when the world falls down around us, Father, because we have you alone. Help our souls to be satisfied. Keep us from sin, Lord. Help us in our temptations to fear, to be anxious, to worry about many things. We've seen before, Lord, how you take care of the birds of the air. You feed all the birds every day. How much more do you care for us? You count the number of hairs on our head. You know us intimately. You love us personally. Thank you, Lord. Help us to not just get through this time, Lord, but show us what you want us to do during this time. What do you want us to learn? What should we be doing, Father? Please show us, speak to us about that. Help us to be mindful. Help us to be looking for opportunities to serve you, to love others in our home, to be merciful and to be gracious to those around us at work. And Lord, we pray for the heaviness that is all around us, the things that are out of our control. You know where our hearts are in in this matter. We pray you would bring peace where there's... Trepidation right now. Lord, bring peace where there's fear. And when we pray for our leaders, we pray for our president, for our vice president, for the task force that is leading this whole charge, for our governors, for our state officials, for Congress, for the, for the financial help that has been offered or provided that has been beneficial to some and maybe others have not received it, Lord. We pray for all that are being impacted by this in our community. Some are doing very well, Lord. Things maybe haven't changed very much. Bless them, Lord. Help them to continue on in their work. Since their minds maybe aren't as busy with the uncertainty of their future careers, may they use that extra time and that extra um brain space that they have, Lord, to help others, to consider how they might be a light to the world, how they might preach your gospel to those who are in different positions, how they might be able to give financially, or whatever way you might have them serve, give them the opportunity, Lord. Show them what to do. Lord, for those who are on the other end of the spectrum, this has impacted every aspect of their life. Maybe... Uh, they're business owners. They're single moms, and they don't no longer have school to help watch and take care of their children while they work. And um, financially, they don't know what they're going to do and how they're going to pay their rent or their bills. Or um, maybe even those who are who are right now in, in very discouraged, depressed states because their entire retirement, their 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 future plans of travel or of um, taking it easy and of comfort have have been disrupted, and they don't know what it's going to look like. And Whatever your people are facing, whatever our community is facing, Father, we pray for them. We ask that you would bring your peace to bear on all of these situations, that by your grace you would draw people to yourself who don't know you, and those of us who do know you, Lord, we would walk worthy of the calling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Teach us to be content, to be satisfied in you. And thank you so much that we can experience the joy that comes with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you on your day and we hope to see you soon. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.